are going to be starting back into our series. This is called The Great Escape. This is our walk through the book of Exodus, which has been very, very exciting. A little bit of preface for you guys. Remember, right now we, we have symbols. There are pictures in the book of Exodus, okay? The first thing I'm going to give you, Egypt is a picture of the world and a picture of sin, okay? Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. Israel, when we see the body and the talking about the, the Israelites, those are actually a picture of the individual believer. And then Moses is also, he is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, as we dove into chapter 3, we saw the Lord reveal himself through a burning bush to Moses, who was a shepherd in the deserts of Midian. As God compelled Moses to submit himself to be his representative to the Pharaoh of Egypt, Moses was riddled with self-doubt and trepidation. During this time of doubt, we saw God patiently make it clear that he would be doing the delivering through his power and that the only thing God required of Moses was for him to be willing to answer a call to action. Let's pray. Thank you so much for today, Lord. Thank you so much for this opportunity to bring your word. And uh, Lord, as, uh, as I was speaking to someone not too long ago, and I told them that, uh, you know, I feel remarkably inadequate to do what I'm getting ready to do. And uh, Lord, yet at the same time, I have tremendous confidence because it is not me. Lord, it will be you. And I would ask God that you help me just to empty myself to get out of the way, Lord. I know you've spoken to me, and I am just begging you to speak through me, that, Lord, the words I share not be the ones that I would choose, but the very ones you'd place on my tongue. Guide us, direct us, and speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, And Moses answered and said, But, notice that word, but, But behold, they will not believe. Believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Now, we notice Moses, again, God has been trying to convince and share with him the fact that God's going to be with him, that he's going to walk with him. He's told him what's going to happen. He's given him that assurance. Look back at these promises just from Exodus chapter number 3, which is right before we were. In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 8, Jesus, God gave this, this, this promise to Moses. He said, I am come down to deliver them. I am come down to deliver them. Verse 12, certainly I will be with thee. Verse 16, he said in Exodus 3, I have surely visited you. Verse 18, he says, they shall hearken to thy voice. He says, look, he tells him what's going to happen. He gives him assurance. But bottom line is we notice that the very first thing that Moses starts off with is the word but. But, right? How many of us are really, really good at pulling that word out when God calls us to do something? You know, you feel this, this thing, this, this draw to take a step, and you're like, oh, yeah, but, right? I wrote down some examples. I would go on visitation, but I would talk to my neighbor about the Lord, but I would read my Bible daily, but I would work in the children's church ministry, but I would dedicate time to prayer, but I would come to Wednesday night Bible study, but I would volunteer my time to serve others, but I would serve in the music ministry, but I would give tracts to people I meet, but I would remove this sin from my life, but I would surrender into the, to the, even to the mission field, but, and we fill in these examples and these reasons why we can't. We're so quick to find reasons why we can't do things instead of finding ways to, to actually accomplish and do what God's called us to do. And it's difficult because we have this tendency to fall upon our fears. And what we'll do is we'll actually take time to try to go through our reasoning and make them legitimate to ourselves. We'll actually try to legitimize them. And what happens is 
what he calls us to do, understand that when God calls us to do something, he empowers us to accomplish it. That's the thing, is the fact that if God's calling you, he's already got a plan and a purpose, and he wants to use you. He's simply asking for you to surrender. And what we see with Moses is Moses, God saying, look, this will happen, Moses. And Moses' response is, but. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Bible says this, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God says, if he'll call you, then guess what? He's going to do it. So instead of worrying about your fears and your, your issues and your problems and your weaknesses, why not focus on trusting him? Verse number two, and the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. Notice this, God understands people so well, right? Because we look at what happens to Moses is Moses is gone. He's listening, listening, listening. All of a sudden he shifts into fear mode and he starts coming up with excuses and God's like, hey, hey, hey. It's what happens because God understands us. He understands that if he focuses upon his fears, and, and all of us are possibly guilty of this at some time, we look at reasons why not. We look at issues in our lives. And because we focus on the negatives, we can kind of spiral into a sense of depression or hopelessness because we get so focused on what's wrong or what, what could possibly go wrong. And what's happening is God is simply shifting his attention and saying, look, hey, let's not worry about that. What's that in your hand? Look at your hand. What is that you're holding? And he says, a rod, an rod. Understand this. God has a plan and a purpose, and he doesn't want him to focus on that. Are there, are there times when we've said things like this? You know what? I just can't let it go. We've got something that's, that we're stressed about, and we just can't let it go. What God's asking of us is simply when we walk by faith and not by sight, he's simply saying, you know what? Let it go. Let it go. Because guess what? I already know about it. You're not telling me something I'm not aware of. It's not something that slipped through and I was like, oh, wow, thanks for bringing this up. We've been talking about this in prayer. Prayer is something, one of those things where we're not reminding God of his promises. God knows his promises. God knows the outcome. He knows all the details. God is sovereign. Prayer was designed for us, for us to understand the fact that we can trust God. And when we call out to him, it's a matter of aligning our hearts with what he already thinks. When we allow our fears and our doubts to guide us, it always draws us away from God. Always. Fear and doubt never brings you closer to God. It always takes you away. And there are a lot of us that every single day when we wake up, we deal with fear and we deal with doubt. Every day. So here every day God's saying, look, I want to draw you closer to me. And every day we bring in things into our life that push us away from him. Recognize we have an enemy and he knows how to work against us. He says, look in your hand, okay? Now there's a special interest and there's a special, uh, special place in scripture for the hand, and I give you some examples of this. The hand actually points to things like action, and it also points to strength. Whether it be the hand of Adam toward mischief in Genesis 3.22, or maybe the hand of Samson with the jawbone in it against the Philistines in, in, in Judges 15.15, the hand of David against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17.49, or the hand of God. Isaiah 48.13 says this, Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth. And my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. God says, look, not only did I create everything, but I have absolute power and control. And when I call out both the, heaven, the heavens and the earth, they stand up in response. John 10, 28 and 29, Jesus says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. The hand is a significance. And then what's in Moses' hand? There's a rod, right? Now, we remember back in Psalm 23, and we talked about that, and we understood the reference of why it was important that Moses was a shepherd. 
I understand all the leaders that we've seen that have, that have been shepherds. The example that God gives of himself being a shepherd. In Psalm 23, it says, For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the significance to that rod, it's symbolic again. The symbolism of him being a shepherd is not lost on us and should not be lost on us. And it's certainly not lost on God because God's trying to teach him some principles and some ideas that those experiences that he had during being a shepherd are now going to be experiences he's going to use as God calls him to fulfill what he's called him to do. God recognizes this. Now understand, an important factor of this is the fact that he's telling him, he's saying, look, look in your hand. What is that you got? And he's like, it's a rod. It's just a, just a, just a stick, just a, just a plain old stick. And this is important, okay? And you're going to understand in a second why this is important. But he needs to recognize that it's just an ordinary, ordinary rod, okay? Now, he says here in verse number three, and he said, cast it on the ground, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it, okay? So this ordinary stick that he's holding in his hand just became very extraordinary. He's looking at it going, this is a rod. What's the big deal? Why don't you throw it down the ground? <gasps> right? Now, he reacts. He actually runs away from it, right? So we know it's a real snake. It's a pretty scary-looking thing. So we see this miraculous thing take place from something ordinary. God's trying to show him, look, you're an ordinary man, and I understand you understand that, and you're going to give me all your weaknesses, and you're going to tell me all the reasons why you can't. But you know what? I can take the ordinary, and I can do the miraculous with the ordinary. That was just a rod in your hand, right? Wasn't it just the same old stick you've been carrying around in this desert for a long time? It's the same old stick you've leaned against and pushed the sheep with. That's still a silly old rod. Old rod. Guess what I can do with it? I can turn it into a living being and do a miracle right in front of you. It's an opportunity for him to realize the fact that God can do the miraculous with something that is simple. And we look at this and we say, you know what? There are times when God allows us and witness things that are miraculous from something ordinary. We witness these miraculous things for God to, uh, to build our faith. He's trying to help Moses now to learn how to trust him. I think back to this building, guys. This was a miraculous thing that God delivered this building. This building sat empty and abandoned for almost eight years. They had no plans for this building. There was no nothing going on. They were paying the tax, and it was sitting here, and the roof leaked, and water poured in. We turned the water on. The pipes were burst, and it poured through the ceiling. It was, it was, it was a mess. And we didn't have the finances to turn this thing around. I mean, this, you're looking at like you know, $100,000 worth of renovations that need to be done to this building. But we had set a date, and we said, look, you know what? In 50 days, we're going to open up. And we're going to make this happen. God's going to do it somehow. And God said, you know what? i got a contractor already, already set aside. The same way God's going to deliver the Israelites because he has a man set aside already. Yeah. Right? He had it prepared already. We didn't know when we got the building. We had no clue. Yet God says, I've got a contractor already lined up. Yeah. Oh, the plumber, by the way, he's going to be right beside you. The electrician, he's going to drive all the way from King's Mountain. And he's going to bring crews full of men. And they're going to pour their hearts into this building. And it's going to be a project to them that they're going to feel like they're investing in God's work. And you're going to see the miraculous right before your eyes because you know what? There's going to come a time when the ministry's up and running and there will be days when you're going to feel really, really beaten down and you're going to feel really depressed and it's going to feel like things are going wrong and you're going to feel like, I don't understand what's happening. And God's saying, you know what I want you to do? I want you to go back to the desert, remember? Yes. Yes. Remember the little things that I showed you? Yes. Remember those miracles you witnessed? Help build your faith when those times are tough. Fall back on those experiences. So God gives him this little experience here and says, look, you know what? You just witnessed the miraculous. Pay attention. And he says in verse number four, uh, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by, thy, by the tail. And he put forth his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. Now, check this out. We don't notice. Moses, Moses doesn't say, oh, I can't do it. I'm afraid. He actually listens 
for one moment, he follows God, doesn't let his fear impact him, and we see a miraculous result. He's able to do this, and God now builds a little bit more faith in Moses. It's little steps, little steps, little steps. Because, you know, we're always going to find reasons for excuses, right? Our faith is God, as, as God reveals, our faith is built through obedience. That's what happens. When you're obedient, guess what? You get greater faith. And when you have greater faith, guess what naturally happens? You're more obedient. Those two work together. And God wants to build our faith so that we'll be obedient to do what it is he's called us to do. That's what he's doing in the midst with Moses. How do we develop our faith? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God. If you don't spend time in God's word, guess what? You're not hearing from God. You can come and you go, why? I haven't missed a service. Great. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you're here and I want you to hear the preaching of the word of God. But the bottom line is none of the things I'm telling you are things that I know. I don't have any wisdom. I don't have any knowledge. I'm just simply taking the word of God and simply relaying to you what it is he's told me from it. And I want you to have that same desire to learn from him and feed on this word because this is where your spiritual strength comes from. Your dependence cannot be upon this church and it cannot be upon us. Your dependence has got to be upon that. Because this will fail you. This will fail you. We will fail you. We're people. We're going to mess up. There's going to be a day when you're going to be like, I cannot believe the pastor, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? Go for it. You know? Because I just know that day is coming. So if you know it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. Right? <laughs> so when, you, when I fail you or when we fail you, understand that your foundation should be here and it shouldn't affect your walk with God. Yeah. There are people that a pastor falls and they fall out of church and they're gone for good. Well, guess what? Their foundation was not built upon what it should have been built upon. If you're standing on the word, it does not matter what happens to this church, what happens to the pastor, it doesn't matter what anything happens, because my foundation is built upon that rock. Amen. And that's what you must build Amen. your foundation on. That's our desire. We want to teach you to love this word, man. Feed on this word and let it grow you, help it build you, so that when you do go out in the world and God calls you to do something great, you're empowered to do it. And you have a foundation that you can stand on. God is awesome. Anyway, I wasn't in my notes, but I just thought I'd throw all that in. <laughs> um, now, I, I gave an example. You know, think about this. We think about disobedience and obedience. God wants to bless obedience, but guess what? He doesn't want to bless disobedience. And many of us, unfortunately, are disobedient on a day-to-day basis, right? Would you and I, if we had kids and our children were disobedient, you said, you know what, this is something I want you to do. And they said, nope. Not doing. In fact, I'm going to do this, the exact opposite of what you told me to do. Are you going to go, you know what? Ice cream for you. <laughs> you defiant little, let's go get some ice cream. No. You're going to go, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I expect obedience from you, right? What if you even had something prepared for them? Think this. Maybe you made something special, right? You made their favorite cake, and you want to bless them at the end of that day. And that day they're just terrible and they will not listen and they're disobedient, disobedient, disobedient. Even though you have it prepared for them specifically for them, would you hold it back? Yeah. Yes, you would. And guess what? God is a good parent. And that's exactly what he does in our lives. We want to be blessed so many times. You know, we expect to be disobedient and yet be blessed by God. And God's saying, look, you know what? There's an expectation from you. I've told you how to live. I've given you a guideline of what I expect from you. I don't expect you to be perfect, but I want you to be striving, pressing towards the mark of a high calling God in Christ Jesus. Notice Paul doesn't say that he arrived. He says, I'm pressing toward it. Because you know what? He also tells us those things that I should not do, I find myself doing. And those things that I should not do, I find myself doing. I struggle with my flesh. Guess what we all do? 
but it's not, a, it's not an excuse. It's not a reason why, right? We don't accept it and say, well, I'm just a sinner, and that's just the way it is, and I'm just going to live by my sin, and I'm just going to do the things I do. No. Constantly refining ourselves, trying to be more like him. What we want to do is we want to judge God so many times based upon our circumstances, but our disobedience many times has us exactly where we are. Yeah. And we want to sit there and go, well, God's not good, and God's this, and God's that. No. Don't judge God based upon the fact that he holds you accountable for being good, yeah. right? I mean, we haven't, he has an expectation of us. And when we fail, guess what? There are consequences. Process of life is a matter of shaping us. The good and the bad of this life, it's all a matter of process of shaping us. God's altering us ever so slightly. We talked about it on Wednesday night in our Bible study. We were talking about the fact that when we think about the spirit of God, and we also, we look in the book of Jeremiah, and we talks about the example of the potter and the clay, and it's a molding process. It's God shaping and shaping and shaping and shaping. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's little things in the spirit where God gives you a little inkling or a little push, and as you submit yourself, God, guess what he does? He shapes you a little bit more and shapes you a little bit more. And there are circumstances that sometimes come into your life, and these circumstances are hard. They're difficult, they're frustrating, they're angry. You deal with somebody in life who's just going, you know, this person just drives me crazy. They push my buttons every, right? Has anyone ever met anyone like that in your life? Okay, <laughs> good. And as we meet these people, we go, man, if God would just take them out of my life, I would be answer a prayer. Come on, get them out of here. What if God's using them instead of a soft molding hand? What if he's using them as a chisel? Doom, doom. Because there's a big part of you that needs to be knocked off. And when you learn how to deal with that person in a gracious and kind and loving way, guess who you become a little bit more like? Christ. And when you learn to love somebody who's really, really, really tough to love, boy, that's a huge step in the right direction. Because when Jesus is on the cross, he looked at a whole lot of people that did not deserve to love. He looked at the world as a whole, and we didn't deserve love. Yet through that, he loved us. Amen. Right? Amen. More like him. Now, back to our story, chapter, verse number five. All right, here we go. Um, that, they may, that they may believe, this is he saying, look, this is the reason why I'm showing you these things, that they may believe that the Lord God of, your, of their fathers and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. He says, look, the miracle that I'm showing you, this with the snake, this is going to be a step. This is going to be something you're going to use in the future. And the Lord said, furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thine bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he looked at, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. When he says put it in his bosom, what he means is reach it in your robe like this and put it against your skin. He says, now I want you to take it out. And when he takes it out, it is diseased and absolutely just ravaged so much so that it looks white. It's completely changed its appearance. Now, would this freak you out a little bit? Yeah. It would freak me out horribly. I would be like, whoa, right? And he said, put thine hand on thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. Just like the rod was restored. Here again, he follows instruction. He does exactly what he's told. He puts his hand in there. Instead of going, ah, ah, like this, which some of us might do, he says, now put it back in. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, this obedience thing works out pretty good. Awesome. Now, can we imagine Moses' reaction? He would have been afraid, right? In both occurrences, there would have been an emotional response. And we know what God does everything for a purpose and for a reason. 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, who, it says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. God is orchestrating his will in our lives and then ultimately through our lives. There's a purpose to each occurrence. So God is using experiences to prepare Moses for what's ahead. 
Is it possible that God is trying to acclimate Moses to the miraculous so that he will be able to handle it in the future, right? Think about it. Now, he's scared of the snake. We know in, 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 when we get to chapter number 7, well, there's going to be a time when Aaron's going to throw down his rod and it's going to turn into a snake. If Moses wasn't prepared, what would Moses do? Ah! Right? How great would that be in front of Pharaoh? Oh, yeah, watch this. Ah! And what if Moses runs off? That'd be kind of a weird situation, wouldn't it? It's trying to be a show of God's power. Moses should have been like, yes, look at that snake, instead of screaming and running from it, right? So God's in, prep, in preparing him. It's almost like a, uh, like a rehearsal, right? And so what happens, sometimes God allows us, because in that moment, Moses didn't stand faithful. He ran fearful, right? And so what happens, he had a little dress rehearsal there to kind of get him ready. And see, you and I have a lot of times dress rehearsals in life. We have little opportunities to be faithful, little opportunities to trust God, and we drop the ball altogether. In our private time, in our quiet time, we may not be the person that we want to become for God, but guess what? He's preparing Moses because he knows one day that snake, that rod is gonna become a snake, and Moses needs to be ready. So it gives him a chance to sort of fail in private with him so that when it comes time for it to be public, he can stand as he needs to stand. So a lot of times God's using our failures, these little failures, to teach us. And we know when we went back and we studied in the book of John, remember we looked in John 21 and we watched Peter. And what happened with Peter was Peter failed, 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 failed. Peter failed as he, as he turned against God and as he, as he uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Denied, as he denied Christ, right? So we know that he failed, 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 failed. But we notice through Peter what God does is he works with Peter and Peter learns from his mistakes so that Peter can be the man that he needs to become. And what happens with us is God is working on us through our failures to develop us into who we need to become. And failure is a good part. Failure is a wonderful way to learn. It's a wonderful way to learn. You know, if you didn't learn to fail, you'd never learn to walk because no one just stands up and walks. Failure in walking, failure in learning how to stand back up, learning how to have a little bit of confidence. Trust that your mom or your dad's going to hold your hand. The confidence that we get as we work through processes. So each one of these times as we fail, we grow a little bit more. And he says in verse number 8, And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of thy first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. He says, look, I'm going to give you more than just that sign. And if, they, and if it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, and thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. He says, look, I'm going to give you several things. Now remember, this is not to convince Pharaoh. This is to convince the Hebrew people. He's talking about representing to them. So it's not about that. It's a matter of God, first of all, has to convince Moses. Then Moses has got to convince the Hebrew people. And then, at that point in time, they're going to go to convince Pharaoh. Now that Moses is convinced that this is definitely God, I mean, he's just witnessed these miracles. He's watched these things take place. So now let's see what happens. He's got to believe this is God, and he's ready to go. Here we go. Verse number 10. And Moses said unto, him, said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. More excuses, right? Does this sound like anybody that we maybe have spent time with in our lives? You know people that every day you deal with their excuses? Everybody's always got a reason why they can't, why they can't, why they can't. Moses is pulling out all the, out all the stops here. We know this is an excuse now because, think about this, in the next four books of the Bible, we're going to see Moses become this great leader who speaks to great crowds and does these things. So it's not that he cannot do it. It's a matter of the fact that he's making up excuses. Okay? And here it says, on top of that, we also know this. 
in the book of Acts. Remember we studied in the back the book of Acts in chapter number 7? And what did it say about Moses? It says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. So we know that this is not true. He's making up an excuse based upon fear, right? He's afraid. And we look at the influence that fear has upon us. Think about it. Decisions that we choose either to do, to do things or not do things based upon the fear of what could take place. And fear becomes this driving force and it has a great influence upon us. There are many, many times when we deal with this, the stresses and the strains of the reasons that we don't do things is because of this personal feeling of inadequacy. And the bottom, bottom line is God's trying to help us to recognize the fact that the faith need not be in ourselves or in our ability or lack of thereof, but a recognition of the fact that it does not matter who we are. If God calls you to do something, he will do it through you. Amen. And what he's trying to tell Moses is, saying, look, you know what? Understand that I am who I say that I am. Recognize that I have the power to do these things, that I am a miraculous God, the same God that's been through the entire New Testament or the Old Testament that you've heard of, the stories you've been told. Guess what? That's who I am. And instead of trying to spend time justifying our reasons and what's happening, he's trying to, you know what? And bottom line is, I can tell you right now, Moses is trying to sell himself while he's trying to sell God. I guarantee he is. How many of us have given an excuse for something that we could not do because we came up with a reason? And we sell that reason not only to the people that we know, but we sell it to ourselves as well. Who's ever told themselves the same lie when you're alone as you gave an excuse to someone, you told it to them, and you walked away, and you kind of repeated it yourself? Yeah, I, I can't do that. I definitely can't do that. No, there's no way. Because, I mean, think about this and that. I mean, no, I definitely can't do it. Yeah, I definitely can't. Nope, nope. You're selling yourself, right? Because you know it's a load of garbage, right? <laughs> now, it says, uh, verse number 11, And the Lord said to him, who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Moses, let's stop with this foolishness, son. It's time for you to listen to me. No matter what our perceived inadequacies are, God is not limited. If greater things to be done are, are to be done by God, it's him that will do the accomplishing. What we know is he already said, I will deliver my people. I will bring them out. Verse number 12, now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Enough talking. It's time for action, Moses. It's time to get this done. Verse number 13. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him that thou wilt send. What he's saying there is saying, you know what? Will you please send someone else? Would you just find someone that, that you could use? So what we find here is the fact that Moses is not so much that he has the inability to do what God's called him to do. He has an unwillingness to do what God wants him to do. And this was where the rubber hits the road. So many times, you and I, it's not a matter of the fact that we can't. It's the fact that we won't. Yeah. Right? Because we look at our life and we go, you know what? But I want. But I want. But I want. And God says, do you not realize this, this life's not about you? I didn't create you for you. I created you for me. You've lost sight of what you were created for. Get focused back upon what's important and watch me do the miraculous. Moses' reluctance and tactics of avoidance are driven by selfishness. This is the trait of humanity that Satan uses to drive a wedge between us and God. 
selfishness, man. Every day we struggle with it. Every day we think about ourself, 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 ourself. And what God's trying to say to him is saying, look, you know what? Get your focus off of all these things that you believe are important and realize what truly is important. I've got the most miraculous, incredible job for you. Not only am I going to use you to bring the people out, but I'm going to use you to write the first five books of the Bible, Moses. I'm going to use you like you will not believe, son. Just simply relent. Will you just give in and let me do great things? It's not you, Moses. All I need is a willing servant and I'm calling you. This is a special gift I'm offering you. And when God calls us, it's a gift, man. He's offering you an opportunity to work for the king. And when he calls you, understand he's calling you specifically from heaven. And he sees your heart and he knows your inadequacies and he knows your fears and he knows your doubts. Yet he still chooses us. And when you feel that tug, that's the God of the universe who keeps everything spinning and everything going on, saying, you know what? Hey, David, I got a job for you. Wow. Imagine that. The God of the universe knowing us by name, caring for us by name, choosing to use us. Consider this. Moses knows that he was created for this purpose. We know that because he said, you know what, at one point in time, 40, 40 years ago, he said, you know what, he thought at this time everybody was going to rally behind him. He was going to be the deliverer. So he knew he was created for this purpose. Moses knows that Jehovah God has broken his 400 years of silence to speak to him and him alone. Moses knows that God is going to do all the work. He's told him that he's going to. Moses knows that God is going to guide him. Moses knows that God's going to protect him. Moses literally is standing before a burning bush that is not consumed, hearing the word of God speak directly to him, call him by name, Moses, Moses. He calls him. Here he stands. He witnesses these miracles. He sees these things taking place right before his very eyes. He hears the promises of God saying, look, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will walk with you through this thing. In fact, I'm going to do it all. And in the midst of that, driven by his fear, driven by selfishness, Moses stands defiantly. And there are times when you and I have been called to do something. And you can think back to the moment when God called you to speak to somebody. Maybe you were at a gas pump and you had a track in your pocket. And you were sitting there going, you know what? And there's a person standing at their car. And you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, I know I'm supposed to go over there and talk to them. But oh, it's a nice car. Who knows what they're going to say? There's other people around. What could happen here? This could go really badly. And Satan starts telling us this whole scenario of what could fail, right? And we start thinking of reasons why not. Why not? What if this is a bad time? Who knows what they're going through? I don't know if I should. Ah. And we convince ourselves enough to where we go, somebody, somebody will reach them. I'm sure somebody's going to talk to them. I'm sure they will. And we try to sell ourselves on this justification as we get in the car and we drive away. And you have that feeling of, I just let God down. And I guess we all do it, right? We all do it. But what if we were to react, you know? Paul talks about the fact that he's not guilty of the blood of any man. And when God was, what Paul's saying, he's not saying that he, that he preached and talked to every single person alive that walked past him in the street. It wasn't that. But what he's saying is, you know what? Every person that God called me to speak to I spoke to. I don't stand guilty as God placed it upon my heart for me not to speak to them. Our desire must be that we submit to God. God wants to do a great work through us. We look at the incredible patience of God because of Moses' unwillingness to accept what God wanted him to do. God shifted his responsibility onto Aaron. Look at this in verse number 14. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I want you to pay attention to the fact that God does not get mad during all those made-up excuses, right? So when he says he's unworthy or or has the inability, God plays along. All right, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But when he becomes unwilling, that's when we see God's anger kindled against Moses. It is, and he says, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that 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 he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. God only becomes angry when Moses will not listen. So we look at this fact, the fact that his unwillingness, even though he's unwilling, God actually changes things so that it gives Moses a little bit of assurance. Amazing patience from God in this interaction. Moses thinks he needs his brother to be successful when in reality, all he needs is God. He just needs a little bit more confidence. God knew that at that. He says, when we choose to do God's work our way instead of God's way, it never works out quite like it could. Now, because we know for a fact in the future, is Aaron going to be a great asset to Moses? No. He's going to be a liability. Because guess what? When he comes down, there's a, there's a golden calf sitting in there. Guess who fashioned it with his own hands? Aaron. Good old brother Aaron, right? And so he thinks he needs Aaron. And God alters the plan because even if we want to do it our way, God can still use us, but not as effectively as if we did it his way. Because he doesn't call Aaron, he calls Moses. And the only reason why Aaron gets involved is because Moses is so full of excuses and so full of self-doubt and so full of selfishness that he's willing to make things work this way. As believers, we seek to serve the Lord. As we seek to serve the Lord, it's extremely important that we allow God to lead us instead of following our own plans. As, As we lead this church, We've got to make our decisions based upon what God opens the door to go forward. God needs to lead and direct everything that we do. We may have a desire to do things. We may want to do this and have a new ministry here. And, have, and we all have ideas. And it's great to have ideas. But if God doesn't open the door before us and if it's not his plan, we need to wait on God. Yes. You know what? If we want to do children's church every single Sunday, guess what we need? More teachers. We don't have enough teachers. So we're not going to put a strain on the teachers that we have and have them missing service again and again and again because we want to have children's church and force it. What we're going to do is we're going to work it the way we can do it. And as God opens that door and as he brings those people and puts them in place, guess what he's doing? He's saying, now we'll move forward. Now we'll move forward. Follow God's plan, not your own. God has a purpose and a plan to all things. He doesn't do anything by accident or on a different schedule. He says, look, I have a purpose and a plan for all of it. If you'll just simply follow along, I'll show you what to do. Now, bottom line is we want to be led by the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. That's a key one. Lean not on thine own understanding. Don't follow what you think is right, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways acknowledge him. That means that every time you're going to make a choice, every time you make a decision, pray, Lord, you know what? You open the door, and if you'll open the door, Lord, we'll walk through it. When it came to this building, we, we prayed about it. God, God he laid everything out for us. And as God's brought you here, and as God's developed the family of this body, what he's been doing, he's saying, look, you know what? I'll bring those that need to come. And if there'll be some that come and they don't come back, you know what? They're not intended to be here. And it's not, we shouldn't be like, well, man, I'm going to chase everybody down, and I'm going to convince them. No, it's not my job to convince anybody. If God's not putting them here, let them go where they're supposed to be. Because guess what? They're not an asset to us if they're not where they're supposed to be. And they're not an asset to where they're supposed to be. So we need to pray that God will place them exactly where he'd have them to be in the body. We, uh, he'll let us do it. He'll let us, he will let us do it our way. But if we will seek God and his guidance before anything else, the results will be blessed by God. He can do things through us even if we don't do it fully his way. There is no doubt about it. God can bless and God can work. 
but there always are the consequences of disobedience interlaced in the success. We deal with the result of, and we talked about on, on, on Wednesday, we talked about the fact that so many times sin, sin, all sin, it has a consequence attached to it. Every sin does. And what happens is when we see God's mercy, as many times he steps in and actually keeps us from the consequences of the sin that we choose to do. Mercy of God, the mercy of God. And they're always a consequence to when we do not follow him. In the last, in the verse 15, he says, and thou shalt speak unto him and put, and, and he says, and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth and I will, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you and ye, what ye shall do. So the Lord is not looking for an eloquent speaker here. What he's looking for is a man of God that he can speak to and that he can speak through. And I can tell you guys, every opportunity that I have to speak in this place, I earnestly seek and desire that it not be me. I truly don't want to be important. I don't want to be knowledgeable. I don't want to be the person that you're turning to. I want you to realize the fact that God is the source of our wisdom and everything that we share, that I share with you is like bottom line is I'm doing my very, very best to let the Spirit of God work through my heart and my mind and I'm human just like you are and I'll mess up like I said. But you know what bottom line is? The more we submit to God, the more He just comes out of us. Amen. And as you go talk to people, instead of being living wrapped up with your fears, what if you submitted yourself to God in that conversation and God just directed you on exactly what to say? We've all been in situations where we've spoken to people and we've sort of like, man, how did that go so well? Where did that come from? Because in that moment, you let yourself be set aside and the Spirit of God said, you know what? Let me take this. Let me speak to them for you. That's the desire we must have anytime we get a chance to share God's word. 2 Timothy 2, 15, 16 says this, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth means you need to understand what it is you're reading. If you're not spending time reading the Word and you simply take what you hear or what people tell you, guess what? There's a lot of wisdom of man out there, and guess what it does? It leads you in the wrong direction. The wisdom of God is always consistent. It's always something you can count on. And if you'll found yourself upon this again and again and again, this has got to be the foundation of your truth. And your understanding of the truth comes from this, not from people. I'm trying to relate to you very, my very, very best of what this scripture says to us and how God's simply showing, showing us what it is that we need to do and how we need to move forward. And the second verse in that, in that I just spoke in the, uh, there in 2 Timothy, it says this, verse 16, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So do not listen to those that do not speak, speak the truth of this word. And when he says vain babblings, that's the wisdom of man. Somebody's telling you what he knows and what he believes and what he thinks. Guess what that is? Vain babbling. He's full of his own thoughts. He thinks he's something important. He's going to tell you, this psychiatrist, I'm going to tell you, blah, 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 Tell you all this wisdom, right? And if you soak up this wisdom of man, guess what you are listening to? Vain babblings. It's a waste of your time. And guess what it says? That it will increase unto ungodliness. It will draw you away from God. If you follow the wisdom of man, it will take you from the wisdom of God. Follow this book. Follow this book. Verse 16. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of, my, instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. He says, look, he's going to speak for you, and I'm going to speak to you. So I'll speak to you, you speak to him, he'll speak to them. How does that work for you, Moses? God is willing to work with Moses despite his human frailties and even make concessions for the frailties in his plan. Moses will eventually become the man and the leader that God's called him to become. We know this. We see what, my, what he will become. But all in good time, God is going to patiently wait on Moses to grow through the, goods, through the wise decisions that he made, also the mistakes that he made, because he'll pay the consequences of those. 
Our God is patient, forgiving, and understanding because he sees who we will become. Even though Moses doesn't see it right now. Even though Moses doesn't see it at all. Moses looks at himself in this moment and says, you know what? Uh, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. And God says, oh, you're the guy. You're him. You don't see it yet, but Moses, I already see you for who you will become. And that's the beautiful thing about God. And when we learn to be obedient and we learn to take steps of faith, we start to get on the road that God has set for us so that we can actually become who he's already seen that we can become. And that's where, again, walking by faith, instead of putting faith in self, you go, look, I know how I feel. I know, my, I know me. I've been with me my whole life. 51 years, I've walked with me this whole path, and I know what a screw-up I am. I know how many bad decisions I've made. I know the results of the things that I've done. And my goodness, I mean, I, do you, I know who I am. And God says, I do too. Better than you do. And I see who you're going to become one day. And I'm going to love you for that person in the future, yes. not for where you are right now. God does not judge us based upon who we are. He looks at us and loves us for who we will become. He sees Moses in the future. Our challenge is to surrender ourselves to the process and allow God to shape us. Now, what is he shaping us into? Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's trying to shape us to be like Christ. And as you deal with adversity and you learn to trust God, you become more like him. When you deal with hard people and difficult situations and you learn to love the unlovable and you show grace to people that don't deserve it, you become more like him. When you deal with adversity and you love people and you show grace and kindness and, and patience, oh my goodness, and you apply these things in our lives that we all know we're supposed to do, but when you do them, you become more and more like the image of his son. Verse number 17, if you wrap up, he says this to Moses. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. He says, pick up your rod and follow me, Moses. Snatch it up, because there's something to be done. Look at this. Luke 29, 23, Bible, God, Jesus says this. Says, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He's telling Moses, hey, pick up that rod, son. I'm going to do the miraculous through you. And God's saying, look, take up your cross and follow me. And I'm going to do the miraculous through you. It's a call to action. God's calling every one of us. You're not sitting here. None of us are exempt. God's called every one of us to something. We may not be a great deliverer, but guess what? We are one who's supposed to speak the truth in love. We're the one that's supposed to be patient. We're the one that's supposed to be, to be kind to people that maybe are, are unkind to us. How many am I supposed to forgive my enemy when they do wrong to me? Seven times, Peter asks. Oh, 70 times seven. He says, look, just keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Because you represent me on this earth. If you are a Christian, that means you're a little Christ, a picture of Jesus, right? Don't claim Christian, then go out and live like the devil. Christian means you walk with God. Doesn't mean you're perfect but you're striving every day. You take up your cross, your burden daily. You recognize who you are and you make concessions to get better. Every day we try to get better and better. And the more we allow God to shape us through the spirit and through circumstance and the changes take place in ourselves, eventually we become more and more and more the image of what God's created us to be and to make an impact in other people's lives. You're called to do it. We're all called to do it. 
the sooner we surrender, the faster it'll happen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity, God, to share the truth of the Word of God and the beautiful picture of the patience that you showed with Moses and how that you walked with him down this path. And Lord, even though he tried to deny, and Lord, as even though he tried to avoid, God, yet you brought him to a point, God, where he started to recognize the fact that it was not him. It was all about you. And God, that's something we have to keep in mind. It says it over our doors as you walk out of this church. It's not about me. It's all about him. God, help our hearts and our minds to realize that. God, help us to be armed with tracks and invitation cards in our cars. Help us to carry us with them wherever we go. Help us to look for opportunities that we can be used, God. Not to let them slip through our fingers and be filled with frustration and senses of, uh, of, of letting you down and being disappointed. But God, help us, Lord, to cling on to the moments that you give us and recognize the fact that the God of the universe has called us. And God, we want to please be found faithful to do what you've called us to do. Thank you for this calling. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for the spirit of God that lives within us. And Lord, as believers, God, help us to embrace the change that you're trying to make in us. Help us to be shaped into the image of your son. God, we love you and thank you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. I may, I may know of God. I may have a religious understanding of God. I may believe in God, which is wonderful, but the devils tremble in the presence of God. We know that the devil believes in Satan or believes in God, but he's not saved. A saved person means they put their faith 100% in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you've done that, you have assurance right now. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, if you are a child of God, you know without a doubt that you are a born-again believer and you know you have Christ in your heart, raise your hand as a testament to God. Raise it high. Amen, amen, amen. As children of God, God's calling us. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not a child of God. If you're here, if you're on the internet, wherever you are, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive the greatest gift ever given, which is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Christians, we have an opportunity to change this world one life at a time. And God wants to work in our hearts. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not saved, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you have a knowledge of God but not an understanding of Him in your heart, I want you to know that you can pray today. And it's not a magic prayer. It's not the words that will do anything for you. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. God's looking inside of us. And as Christians today, let's pray for our brothers and sisters that do not know you, that do not know the Lord. Let's pray that they will surrender their hearts. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to receive that gift. I want to pray and ask Jesus to save my soul. I want to have the peace of God in my heart and know that I have a home with him in heaven. If you want to receive that gift, I'm going to pray right now. You have an opportunity to pray in your heart, in your mind. Talk to God. It's not about the prayer. It's not about the words. It's about the intention of your heart. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've disappointed you. I know that I've broken your laws and that God, I've hurt many people, including myself. I'm asking you to forgive me. I turn from who I was and accept the gift of salvation given from the cross. I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.